This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to a very, very special edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman, CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman, and I am very, very excited today, probably more excited for any podcast that I've done. Today is my 100th podcast in the series of the Art of Dental Finance and Management, and we have an incredibly special guest for you today. We have Dr. Kathleen O'Loughlin, who is the Executive Director of the American Dental Association. Uh, I couldn't ask for a better guest for my 100th podcast. Dr. O'Loughlin and I are going to talk about a lot of stuff, what's going on in in dentistry today, uh, what has happened in the last eight months with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, and um, lots of other things. So I'm very excited to have her on. Let me dispense with some business right out of the gate. Uh, Folks, I want you to take a look at our Partner Decisions in Dentistry magazine um, and go to their website, www.decisionsindentistry.com. They have great clinical content, great continuing education courses. And uh, also our other partner is the Academy of Dental CPAs, who we have partnered with the ADA uh, over the last eight months. We've been arm in arm with the ADA working with them to great to get information out to you. So if you are looking for a dental-specific CPA anywhere in the United States, my CPA firm, Ide Bailey, is in Southern California. Uh, but for the other 23 firms, and we represent over 10,000 dentists in the country, go to www.adcpa.org. So let me, let me introduce, uh, I'll get to Dr. O'Loughlin in a minute, but I, I want to make a couple of comments. Number one, I want to thank all of you from the bottom of my heart for all of the support that you've given me for this podcast over the last two years. It has been a, an absolute joy. I have talked to hundreds and hundreds of dentists just from the podcast, answered, I, I don't even know how many emails. And I look forward to doing this well into uh, the rest of my career and helping dentistry and give something back to the profession that I have served for 36 years. So thank you for that. So as far as the American Dental Association goes, I've been a dental CPA for 36 years and I I had interactions. I was honored to be invited many times to speak to their conventions all over the all over the country where they're held. And uh, actually our ADCPA group got to visit the uh, American Dental Association building in Chicago. And we got a tour and met a lot of the folks there. And it's been wonderful. 
but I really never fully engaged with the ADA until the middle to end of March. And our president, Alan Schiff, who's in Baltimore, who's one of my dearest friends in the world, introduced us to one of the congressional lobbyists for the ADA, and her name is Megan Mortimer. And Megan and I and the ADCPA and Alan have become bound at the hip, literally. Megan has done dozens and dozens of webinars. Um, I mean, th this poor young lady, she lives in Washington, D.C., and I'd have her doing webinars. She'd be up to almost 11 o'clock at night because we're in California and she's in Washington. And, and she has just been, you know, we've been going back and forth with questions. Megan has been involved. And Michael Graham also, let me not leave out Michael. Michael has been also on our webinars and and they've just been wonderful and what i have seen ladies and gentlemen is the passion for the american dental association to help its 163,000 members it has been absolutely eye-opening and remarkable and if you are not a member of the ada you should be and if you are which is most of you on this uh, podcast that are listening you are being very very well served by your national organization so with that, Dr. Kathleen O'Loughlin, uh, Executive Director of the American Dental Association, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. Well, thank you, Art. It's a pleasure to be here. And I have to uh, agree with you. It's been a great working relationship between the ADA and the Academy of Dental CPAs. You helped us enormously about understanding um, a lot of the relief packages that as Congress was pushing them out at record speed, with little definition and little clarity, uh, you helped us enormously on understanding the impact uh, on dental practices, on their financial status, on their taxable status, and a million other questions we've asked you. So thank you so much. It's been a delight to work with you and the Academy. Well, your, your, your words are very, very kind, and it goes right back to what Megan and Michael have done. They're just absolutely remarkable remarkable team members of yours. I, I, I neglected to uh, to give a little bit of your background, which I, I want to do here for a second. I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. I just completely forgot. Um, so again, Dr. O'Loughlin is the executive director of the American Dental Association, which is the nation's leading advocate for oral health. She joined the ADA in 2009 after serving as the chief dental officer for United Health Group and as the chief executive officer for Delta Dental of Massachusetts. She is nationally recognized leader in the healthcare, nonprofit, and education sectors, and she speaks around the country about the profession of dentistry, oral health care, delivery, and public health. And she was the first female dental school class president and valedictorian of Tufts University School of Dental Medicine. And what that means, Dr. Olafson, is you're way too smart to be on my podcast. <laughs> way too smart. But um, uh, tell us a little bit about your journey. I mean, with, with that as an opening, uh, kind of sure. how you uh, You know, I, I come from a large family in Boston. I grew up in Medford, Massachusetts, and I was in the middle of seven kids. Uh, my parents put a lot of emphasis on doing well in school, behaving, playing sports. Uh, you know, I had a really happy childhood. Uh, when I got out of high school, women were kind of directed in three career paths, nursing, teaching, or executive assistant. There weren't a lot of other options available, so I ended up starting out in nursing school and then uh, switched to Boston University and completed my uh, pre-med, pre-dent degree there, uh, but wasn't sure about what I wanted to do. So I ended up working about six years in a research lab in Mass General Hospital 
which is where I had attended nursing school. So I didn't do a straight line to dental school or a straight line to corporate whatever. I zigged and zagged quite a bit. And it, it was a discovery journey. Not, I didn't wake up when I was seven years old and say, I'm going to be a dentist and I'm going to be the executive director <laughs> of the ADA. All you didn't. That, I'm shocked. I, it was, no, I didn't wake up one day and say that. So I loved uh, what I did in the research lab, but uh, there was a severe recession going on, very similar to the 09 recession. This was back in the late 70s, early 80s. And I decided I needed to advance my career. And it was a woman physician who steered me away from medical school and told me her sister had a very nice quality of life and I should think about dental school. There you so go. So that's what I did. I ended up applying to the dental schools in Boston because my husband said, I can't move. My job won't let me move. <laughs> Luckily, I got into Tufts and uh, just loved it there. And I'm still close to the university. I served on the university board of trustees for a decade, and I'm still very much close to the dental school in terms of being a member of their advisory committee. Um, I care very deeply that dental students continue to have a great career path uh, because that's what dental school did for me. It opened up a million doors, and I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't decided to go to dental school. You know, it's funny. When I talk to, and I lecture to dental groups all the time, I tell dentists that, you know, you're not about fixing people's teeth or doing crowns and bridges. You're about a better life, a better self-esteem, a better career path for people. And, and, and people who retire from dentistry, I tell them that they need to look back on their careers and say, I changed people's lives for the better. Isn't that what it's all about? It is. I think that motivates me every day. And it, it isn't about mechanical, technical um, challenges. It's it's about taking care of people. I mean, I would spend more time talking to my patients than doing the actual procedure. And that was a bond that you don't see in medicine anymore. I mean, dentists and their no. patients have incredible, powerful bonds. When you talk to most dentists, their patients love them. I know mm -hmm. when I moved to Chicago for the ADA job, I had patients asking me if they could fly to Chicago so they could see me. And I said, no, I, I don't have a dental <laughs> office in the ADA building <laughs> anymore. Um, I was very fortunate that my practice, I practiced for over 20 years, and I passed that practice on to uh, Dr. Janice Moriarty, who uh, I met as a student at Tufts, actually. And then years later, uh, last year, she was president of the Mass Dental Society. And she was in the House of Delegates yesterday, which we just finished. So yeah. we had our annual meeting yesterday with 500 very passionate delegates. And we managed to get the work done all virtually. First time ever. Um, uh, it, I don't want to ever do it again, but it was, I, we got it done. Yeah, the, the, I, I'm telling everybody the next time we, we had to cancel our two academy meetings, uh, one in Napa and one in Florida. And I told Alan the other day, the next meeting we have, we won't get anything done because we'll just be hugging each other for two and a half <laughs> days. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. All right. So let, let's talk about, uh, uh, first of all, I, I want to talk before we get into the COVID and all that stuff. Um, what does an executive director of the American Dental Association do? And how many people work for ADA? Because there might be a lot of people that don't know about sure. this. So the uh, American Dental Association is a volunteer-led, volunteer-owned 
association, uh, much like any other association. There's 40,000 of them in this country. And they represent a particular point of view of the group that belongs. It was established back in, I think, 1921 in Boston, actually. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but uh, it was a small group of dentists who got together over 163 years ago and decided they needed a, a, a group of people to represent dentists' interests and the public's interests. So the ADA's mission is to enhance the art and science of dentistry and to improve the health of our population. So it's a bifurcated mission, right? You have to do both. You can't do either or. Um, we represent 163,000 dentists. Now, there's about 204,000 dentists in the country. So we have enormous market share, about 64%. And our job is to w watch out for them, to keep them um, thriving and to be successful and to help them minimize the risks they have to face every day, whether it's financial or, you know, strategic or legal or reputational. And then we watch their backs for them. And that's what all of our work with COVID was, was to help practitioners and help regardless of their career path, by the way, we have lots of dentists that are in academia, that practice public health dentistry, uh, that work in community health centers, that work in government. Some of the finest people I know work in the federal government and state government. Um, so there are lots of career pathways for dentists and we have to consider all of those folks with all of their diverse viewpoints. There are uh, 12 specialties in dentistry now and we have to represent them. We right. represent over 24,000 dental students and we have a fairly sizable group of retirees that we also uh, listen to. Um, and believe me, they're a very vocal group, the boomer group. Uh, they <laughs> yeah. like to let me yes, know how are. I'm doing. <laughs> so what do I do every day? Well, I have 500 employees or so. Wow. We operate on three campuses. You know the group in D.C. Their main function is lobbying, advocacy. We also have a fairly sizable research enterprise in Gaithersburg, Maryland, uh, over 20 bench scientists who are in the business of discovering scientific, um, uh, you know, advances to to benefit the profession and and the public. And in Chicago, where most of our people are, um, we operate uh, divisions that focus on different aspects of dentistry. And my job is to run the place. So the governing board is all volunteer dentist leaders. They are my bosses. I have 25 of them. We elect a new president every year. Just yesterday, Dr. Dan Clemenson was elected president. He's an MD oral surgeon from Tucson, Arizona. From Arizona, right. Yep. And we elected a new president-elect, Dr. Cesar Sabates from Miami. Uh, he's from Florida. And, and so uh, we have lots of volunteer input and activism. 3,000 dentists are actively involved in organized dentistry at any point in time. And, and basically, my job is to execute on what they want to do, their goals, uh, why they want to do it, when they want it done by, who they want it done by. And like Mike will tell you, we work for them. And my job is to make sure we're implementing on our strategic plan and that the performance is consistent and that uh, you know we have the best talent we can get our hands on and that we keep them. So I'm in the business of managing a large group of employees, and I believe in the Southwest airline philosophy. If you keep your employees 
motivated, happy, satisfied, treat them well, they will treat our customers really well. And our customers are the dental profession and the public. And so uh, we have a terrific team. You've met some of them. Uh, Megan is fabulous. Mike is the best lobbyist I've ever seen in D.C. Uh, He's got a heart of gold. He's he's has tremendous integrity, which um, sometimes is an oxymoron in the political circles in D.C., but he manages to make it work. And he's done a tremendous um, job this year with COVID and all the legislation that was getting passed. He made sure dentists were not forgotten and he made sure dentists you know, were able to take advantage of all the relief uh, that was critical to small business owners. People forget most dentists. 80% of our dentists are small business owners, and 20% are divided in all those other categories. Um, so, you know, we had a lot to look out for. Well, I, I will I will tell you again, my, Michael and Megan were just remarkable. I mean, my, both of them, when, when, when Alan or I or anybody else would ask them to be on a webinar, it, it didn't have to be a thousand dentists. And had, I mean, we had some that had well over a thousand dentists. We had some that I did that were 50 dentists and and they didn't care. It was like, we're talking to dentists. We want to help them mm-hmm. and get the information out. And um, again, our partnership with between the Academy of Dental CPAs and the ADA, we have an information sheet. We, we constantly update on these uh, government programs and it's been absolutely wonderful. And you, you guys, I just have so much respect for the ADA. I, I mean, not that I didn't before, but in the last eight months, what I've seen, you, you know, you, you've got... And the Southwest Airlines analogy, Dr. O'Loughlin, is a great analogy because that is exactly the way to run an organization. So you obviously get it, and that that's great. I want to get into kind of COVID-19 and, and, and what ADA did. And so, I mean, obviously, we all know that the dental offices in most of America shut down March 16th, 17th, 18th, mm-hmm. somewhere in that neighborhood. That's when most of my clients shut down, and most of the dentists in America closed their offices with the exception of emergency procedures. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming you you had a, an inkling that, that this was going to happen beforehand. Walk us through what ADA, when did you find out what you had to do? When did you start making a plan? What, what was the plan and how did you execute yeah. it? Well, fortunately, the ADA has a, a terrific global outreach. We have lots of friends among the global dental health community. And we started talking to dentists in Wuhan, China, and started talking to the dental dean there in the dental school. And uh, it was concerning. Uh, A couple of things. We knew little about SARS-CoV-2. SARS, the the previous SARS was not like this disease at all. It was easily transmitted through aerosols and droplets. And so all of the personal protective gear dentists were using was to protect them from bloodborne pathogens, not aerosols. So we knew this was going to be a different game. Then we started talking to our friends in Italy. At the early part of February, their numbers were going off the charts. Yes. And and because of the way uh, Italian communities live with extended families living in close quarters, these you know these families would just have it run through extended family members, grandparents, little kids, parents, cousins, close quarters. You know they live in small apartments. Uh, the numbers were staggering. And then the public health dentists, and um, I would include um, CDC, our close relationship with them. We started asking uh, uh, some experts, ec- expert epidemiologists uh, at University of Maryland and at. Uh, Hopkins, what were we dealing with here? 
And what we found out was alarming, that we knew very little. All of the protective equipment in dental practices were not going to protect people from aerosol-borne diseases. We were starting to understand it, it could live on surfaces for a long period of time. That was frightening. We didn't know what the communication um, strategy was around, I mean, how much disinfectant are we going to need? We didn't have enough PPE to go around. The hospitals were gobbling it all up. Um, So we started to get really concerned, I would say, the end of February, early March. And by the second week in March, because we didn't know enough science to protect practitioners, the ADA board made the decision to recommend that dental practices completely reduced their practice to only urgent and emergency care. And I got to tell you, we got a lot of angry dentists calling us up saying, what are you doing? Are you trying to put me out of business? But until we had knowledge, recommendations, personal protective gear, until we understood what the aerosol transmission risk was, until we started working with CDC and OSHA and HHS and talking to NIDCR and NIH about, is there a vaccine out there? Is there potential for a vaccine? Is testing out there? Is an, do we have enough tests to test? Uh, we just didn't know. So we, we made that bold move and then started managing what they were experiencing from day one. So we started sending out a routine surveillance under Marco Vujicic, who I hope you've yes. heard of. Uh, oh, absolutely. He's Institute. amazing. And he, within a week of March 16th, 90% of practices were reduced on a voluntary basis. So right. God bless Dennis. They are compliant and they watch out for their safety and their patient's safety, which was issue number one. So where are we now? As we've learned more, we've pushed more science out. We've got a paper that just came out last week. So we know a lot more now than we did in March. So now we've we've helped dentists reopen. Uh, we've sent to- toolkits to dental practices uh, that we had them download that encouraged them to reopen gradually to, to make sure they had the appropriate PPE, um, that they had enough money, as you know, through the provider relief, through the relief packages, the idle loans, the paycheck protection program. We made sure they knew how to apply for that. We advocated for them. We would call banks and say, what do you mean the dentist can't get that loan? You know, they're not your biggest customer, but you need to lend them the money. It's a small business administration program. So we advocated both on a macro level and on an individual level. And well, in other words, what, what you did is you followed, you followed the science because the danger of allowing dental offices to just continue business as usual after March 16th, wasn't there serious repercussions? We were concerned that they would become super spreader events. Yes. You know, yes. that some patient would come in asymptomatic. And we now know that asymptomatic carriers are about 40% of the transmissions, And uh, that concerned us greatly. We also began to understand that temperature taking was not as reliable as everyone thought. Uh, The the fact that dentists could not get a test to try in their office because um, the Food and Drug Administration was making those only available to, you know, the the front lines on medical because there just weren't enough tests to go around. So all of these things became crucial risk points. 
that we had to step up and, and deal with quickly. So, you know, Mike will tell you, we got um, 2.6 million masks out to dentists. 54,000 dentists got shipments of masks. And we got over 500,000 gowns out to dentists because Mike talked FEMA into working with us and letting us distribute. And we also, um, we have 163,000 dentists. Well, we had 150,000 dentists writing notes and sending emails to legislators saying, you know, you better we not drop the ball here, right? We need help. It, it got to the point, and Mike will tell you this story, that one of our congressmen actually told Mike to call the dentist off because he was getting inundated with emails and phone calls. And so our advocacy grassroots, dentists were very engaged and 600,000 dentists sent, you know, 600,000 communications went to Capitol Hill. And wow. that got Congress's attention. So we so, weren't on the list as a profession, and now we're fourth. You're on the fourth. List that's, of what, that, that's what Megan was saying. So what, what were your members' responses to everything that you were doing? They were, um, I'm sure they were calling you in droves, right? Well, they were going through the stages of grief, like we all were. First yeah. reaction, angry. Why are you telling me to shut down? My practice is perfectly safe. Safe for bloodborne pathogens, but not for this new kid on the block. <laughs> um, so we had to get them some science and get them some facts and data. The They went through a period of sadness and uh, over the loss of what they had. You know, even now, practices are not back 100%. They're back to about 80%, which is where about right. Marco and I think they'll plateau. And Roger Levin agrees with this as well, by the way, for, with his customers. So we think um, until... Dennis can recoup the added costs of the additional PPE and the slower volume, uh, they're going to be, you know, under some stress. And this, and this will add to their um, burden of worries, you know, as they get through this year. Well, uh, it I, may take them another full year to kind of get back to whatever this new normal is. Well, the, the, the good news, doc, Dr. O'Loughlin, is that we are not hearing anything in the media or anything in the public about, oh, well, dentistry is, it's not safe to go to the dental office. I mean, I went to my dentist and I couldn't get in for two months and it was one, I, I felt completely safe going to my dental office and I'm sure most people uh, do. So I want to, I want to jump on some other things. There's so much sure. I want to talk to you about. So as the executive director, you, you guys have uh, a lot of new initiatives, uh, like the ADA's task force on practice recovery. Yep. Uh, you have a COVID center for dentists on the website mm -hmm. uh, to help dentists find the latest guidance and expert advice. H how is that? And, and you're also working with the state dental society. How is that helping dentists um, understand this pandemic better? Well, I think at the there's three levels in organized dentistry, as you know. There's the national group, which is the ADA. That's us. We lobby federally in D.C. We work very closely with 52 state societies. And remember, Virgin Islands and D.C. are considered separate societies in Puerto Rico. So we supplied them with everything we could in terms of information, science, uh, proven methods on how to stay safe you know, recommendations on PPE, how long you had to wait between patients. Uh, we provided toolkits for everything. And just to show you the toolkit for the returning to work, which was how do you reopen safely? Uh, uh, we, 35,000 downloads. And that included, we opened it up to non-members as well. And 
18,000 non-members got the benefit of this information as well because we felt it was a moral imperative to really keep everyone safe. And of course, we were hoping that non-members could see the value and, and think about joining. So, But the, the purpose really from the outset was to keep people safe. Um, we did a hazard assessment working with OSHA so that practices would keep their employees safe, which was another worry for dentists. What if my dental assistant gets sick? Then what right. do I do? Yep. Um, and we pooled our resources on polling the public, and we were very happy to know that patients, 75% of patients were very happy to go back to their dentist. They do feel safe. There are 25% of the public that are going to wait for a vaccine. Right. And it's that, probably the same right. group that are still wary of going to a supermarket or having elective surgery done. Um, and we are working very closely uh, now with CDC and HHS on testing and vaccinations. Uh, the ADA House of Delegates just passed policy yesterday that dentists should be part of that vaccination and testing cohort, uh, depending on what the dentist is comfortable doing. But we think it would be a huge service to the public if you could um, acquire a vaccination and a routine dental visit and not have to make a separate appointment with a physician or a pharmacist or something. And we also great. want to make sure point-of-care testing is an option for dentists as well. Uh, of course, dentists don't treat COVID, but they can certainly identify it. And they can identify it right along with high blood pressure, diabetes. You know, dentists have that training that allows them to make an identification or screen and then refer so we think given the asymptomatic rates of COVID, this will be a, a great public health uh, benefit to our communities. Well, I'll tell you that, that yeah, I mean, that, that's all fantastic stuff. And uh, from the from the financial standpoint, which is where, where I deal and the Academy of Dental CPAs deal, the PPP, I mean, we... <laughs> You, you guys are first responders. We, we at the ADCPA call ourselves, uh, my, my good friend BJ Coucher coined this one, is that we're the financial first responders. I mm-hmm. felt like I was saving the world starting March 16th, one dentist <laughs> at a time. Yep. And, and we were talking to all of our clients about get in there, apply for this, get this money. Mm-hmm. And it was a lifesaver. And we're keeping our fingers and toes crossed, Dr. O'Loughlin, that uh, um, you know th- this this podcast won't air till after the election. So yeah. I can't, you know, I'm hoping that maybe by the time we get there, we'll have some well, stimulus. We're, we're, we're working. Uh, Michael tell you, his team is still out there advocating for more relief. Um, yeah, th- there, there's a second PPP that might come out. I know the HHS uh, provider relief fund was really helpful mm-hmm. to some of our doctors, uh, the idle loans, the, the, the PPP, but it was, um, it was a, a an absolutely you know remarkable thing, and it really did help the dentist. So let's talk about going forward. Uh, sure. We're we're now we're now at the end of 2020, um, and you you've been through eight months of this. Well, ten months because you probably started in January. What mm-hmm. what what are you guys doing as far as helping the doctors for COVID nineteen and pandemic relief going forward into 2021? What are some of your plans? Well, we're going to make sure we keep our fingers on the pulse of how they're doing economically. And what we've uncovered is that employee dentists have not fared as well. And so we're really doubling down on more help and more resources for them. We also are starting to appreciate the mental health issues that have hit the profession very hard. 
very, very hard and shoring up our resources on how to stay well, how to stay mentally fit, how to deal with all of the stress they're under. Uh, we're also aware that some parts of the country are reporting hygienist shortages and that uh, we're, we're trying to put together some resources to help dentists attract and retain hygienists. Many of them, uh, because of COVID, simply either left the field or have been reluctant to come back to work. We're working very closely with OSHA uh, to make sure hygienists and, and dental assistants feel safe coming back to work. And we provided a lot of support to dentists on employee issues, employment matters related to if a team member does acquire COVID, what is your responsibility? What do you have to be financially on the hook for? Um, and making sure we help dentists understand how they can uh, stay compliant with the new laws and regulations. Uh, so a lot yet to be done. We still don't know a lot about this disease. And we're going to continue to work with the NIDCR and NIH on um, discovering more uh, knowledge about SARS-CoV-2. And there could be another version of this. And how do we handle the next pandemic? We've learned an awful lot in this one. And uh, ADA itself will continue to work remotely, probably well into April of 2021, at which time we hope there'll be population vaccinations going on and, and more accurate, reliable testing uh, that's freely available. Well, you know, something interesting that my, my good friend, Dr. Paul Homily, uh, and I have talked about a lot is the fact that, you know, a lot of disease starts in the mouth and, and this is an opportunity for dentists to educate their patients to say, listen, if you keep your gums and your teeth healthy and your mouth healthy, you're going to build up a better, now I'm, I'm an accountant. So if I say something that is medically or dentally incorrect, doctor, please correct me. But you know, if you keep your mouth healthy, that's going to strengthen your immune system and help you fight this COVID-19. And I think that's a great message. Do you? It's you great. And, and we know that high risk people uh, who tend to be very susceptible to uh, getting COVID, severe COVID, include diabetics. And, and we've got tremendous amounts of evidence that supports you can, you can manage your diabetes much better if you are free of mouth infections and have healthy, just what you said, healthy gums. And, and so there's a, a lot of work to be done in educating the public because the dental IQ of the public is still incredibly low. And right. so our mouthhealthy.org has been a site where we've seen more visits this year than ever before. And we're hoping we're getting that word out that, you know, you can't be healthy without good oral health. That was from the Surgeon General over 20 years ago. And we're hoping that um, access to information and a possible test and a vaccine in a dental setting could encourage the public to see the importance of oral health in terms of their overall health. And if we can get that other 20 or 25% of the public going back to the dentist mm -hmm. and the dentist can use some of this government aid and maybe some good management techniques to keep their practices going, maybe sometime in spring, summer, fall, 2021, uh, they'll get another glut of people coming into their offices. We, we, we hope. We hope. Only half yeah. of the population sees a dentist once I, a year. I know. So that's, there's that's, huge opportunity to encourage more people to seek routine care. And uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, the House of Delegates passed policy related to our aging population, the 65-year-olds, 
and up and and how important it is for them to have regular uh, dental care and yeah. uh, means to access it. What has surprised you the most through this whole pandemic process? I think how much better we are when we work closely together. I call it hyper collaboration, hyper communication. You know, there in the past, I think states and local societies and the national society may have been competitors in some way, shape, or form rather than all working seamlessly together. And I and I would tell you our close relationships with all the federal agencies has really paid off. So I think setting that stage years ago where we improved our relationships, we over-communicated, we hyper-collaborated, we've ended up coming out of this pandemic in much better stead than if we had stayed in our silos and stayed isolated. So I think all the work we've done over the last several years to be agile-like, it's a way of thinking and it's a way of working uh, that's far more inclusive, has prepared us well. You know, I, I forget, this was in uh, The Art of War, you know, a, a, a general uh, prepares for battle during peacetime. And I think yes. we did that over the last several years, and that's why we could hit the ground running with COVID. And, and it's also, isn't it, doctor, it's important now more than ever for doctors to, to become better leaders and become better business people and look at the numbers of their practices and see how they can improve their practices because they've got, we, we got to get everybody through the next year pretty much. If we can get everybody through the next year, Mm-hmm. And if this goes into two, three, four years, we don't want to have that conversation. But if if we can get everybody through this next couple, ne- next six to nine months and keep the practices going, it gives a good opportunity for mm-hmm. doctors to start managing their numbers and looking at metrics and looking at what their reappointment percent yep. and all these things. So I um, think you're, you're just spot on. I taught for many years um, at dental schools and one of the chronic complaints younger dentists have is I never got enough financial management education. And I think you're spot on. If we could teach dentists how to be expert managers of their businesses, it'll go a long way to helping them get through this pandemic and recover fully. Well, I know that our Academy of Dental CPA members are speaking at virtually all the dental schools. I'm doing a series, a year-long series with six local dental societies in Southern California on all of the business side of dentistry. We're trying to get uh, we're trying and trying to get that word out. It's, it's really important. Has anything, have you seen anything? I mean, I know this pandemic has been horrible for everybody. Something positive that's come out of this that you've seen, maybe. I think uh, seeing how resilient the profession is, how hopeful they are, uh, how committed to their missions, whether it's a personal mission or their patients, has been remarkable. It's been wonderful to see that they can recover so quickly and manage all these new procedures and new uh, protocols flawlessly and have z- almost zero incidents of COVID in their, in their professional uh, places of work. Uh, 0.3% prevalence is ridiculously low, yeah, considering OSHA has said dentists and hygienists are the most at-risk professions. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's what we're hearing. The good news is that there's no news coming out of that. Good news so, is no news. Is per- <laughs> that's what I mean. Right. The, the good news is that there's no bad news coming out of dental offices and that it's it's a very, very safe place to go. And that's the messaging. Yeah. So you, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier the emotional impact, the stress. Uh, it, what, what kind of things are you guys working with your members on there and 
I mean, obviously, you 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 can't send a psychologist or a psychiatrist into every dental office. But what 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 kind of things are you guys doing to help the dentists? Because it is it, it's hard enough to run a dental practice yeah. without all of this. With all of this, it it's it just puts uh, a layer I, of difficulty on it. It's a complicated question, and I think goal number one is to remove the stigma. You know, highly educated people don't like admitting they need help. Um, so removing the stigma stigma of um, depression, anxiety, uh, suicidal ideation. You know, we want to make sure that dentists know, one, it's okay to talk about it. You need to talk about it. There local societies and societies have resources. Um, there's an emergence of uh, uh, telepsychology where you don't even have to go to an office where, you know, we're looking for partnerships with um, groups that can provide counseling remotely. Um, in, in private, you know, so the dentists uh, feel like there's some protection and some uh, uh, anonymity with it. But, but making sure professionals feel comfortable talking about their mental health. Because we did a survey four or five years ago, and even at that time, the amount of anxiety and stress-related symptoms was um, high. It's a stressful, you know, profession. So we want to make sure dentists know they they have access to resources when they need them. So, w- what are what are some of your priorities in the coming months? I know you just had your you said you just had your board of delegates meeting, and a lot of stuff's going to come out of that. And what 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 are the ADA's maybe maybe your three top initiatives for twenty twenty one that you're really trying to help the dental profession with? Well, we have four goals. Uh, okay. Okay. Four. Is, you can, well, you can do four. Not membership, just you know, how do we attract members? Our big push there is to transform our digital capability, uh, to satisfy the expectation of the digital natives who are, you know, maybe the dentists under 50 who grew up with tablets. And, and, uh, we are also very much focused on diversity and inclusion. I think COVID has shown a very bright light on, uh, disparities, health disparities related to ethnicity and race. And so uh, becoming an inclusive organization that truly represents all of our members, uh, the diversity of our members is increasing logarithmically. 50% of all dentists now are women coming out of dental school. And within that group, the, the minority are white Caucasians, right? So suddenly yes, we went from correct. all white males to a minority. So uh, I think those are two of our most important initiatives and capturing the value of data, using big data and AI to help dentists practice better dentistry and safer dentistry. So we're launching a registry this year uh, that will capture data on uh, diagnosis and outcomes and provide support to dentists who say, you know, here's this patient with this condition, what are my best options? And right. have that accessible through technology instantly chairside. So digital transformation, making sure we are diverse and inclusive. And I would say, you know, that that capturing the power of big data the way uh, medicine has, but we can do it better than medicine. Talk a little bit about some of the, I mean, the benefits of being an ADA member. And again, I, I'm not turning this into an ADA commercial. <laughs> the, your organization does a great job for its members plain and simple, and you won't get me to change my opinion on that. Give us some of the benefits of being a member of the ADA. Um, Access to the most credible, most trustworthy source of information, whether it's scientific or just related to the profession. 
we do all the clinical guidelines. You know, if you're a dentist and you want to know what to prescribe a patient who's going to have a hip replaced, we're your, we're your group. Um, we set all the standards for the profession. You know, what would people have done through COVID without us lobbying at the federal level? Right. Dentists would have been forgotten. Um, yeah. You know, we do a gazillion things, but what I'd like to do is one great thing. I would say our advocacy this year during COVID was our one great thing. We protected over 160,000 dentists from being left off of the table here. Um, and they they would not have survived their shutdowns without and, this. And I will tell you, 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 you see on the news like I do, Dr. O'Loughlin, I mean, I think 10 to 15% of all restaurants are now no more. Right. Uh, large chains of restaurants like the soup plantation are no more. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I mean, I live in the dental profession as do you. I've not heard of one of our clients or stories about any of our ADCPA members clients. I mean, maybe there's one or two where they've had to shut their dental office down. That has not happened. So the dentists are still surviving. Like you say, they're, they're maybe 80% capacity uh, and things like that. But, um, uh, you know, again, if you're not an ADA member, folks, you, you really need to look into doing that. There's just so many great things. Just their their, their member kit for COVID. I, I went through it. It's remarkable. Um, I want to talk, doctor, a little bit about some of the younger people out there. Dentists mm-hmm. that are in dental school. I lecture to the dental schools here in Southern California. I talk to young dentists all the time. I get emails from them like, I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I mean, I think the dental profession is wonderful going forward. This too shall pass. Mm-hmm. Um, but what what message do you have for young dentists that are either just maybe they're thinking about going to dental school or they're in sure. dental school and like, what do I do? What's your message to them? I, I would say number one is hope. Uh, the profession is still extremely um, highly respected, very effective at controlling and, and preventing disease. Uh, they're highly educated people. And the, what do they worry about? They worry about debt. Educational yeah. debt is a huge problem for them. So we're working really hard on helping them refinance their their debt. We, we have a, a relationship with Laurel Road, but we also support Common Bond and, and SoFi is oh, another fine. company. We, we try and help them understand their debt, number one. And number two, we set up a program called ADAPT, ADA Practice Transitions. It's like eHarmony for dentists with a marriage counselor. And the goal of this new company is to match a dentist who wants to buy a practice with a dentist who wants to sell a practice and match them in ways that go beyond their traditional marketplace and match them in philosophy of care, in personal interests. You know, so it really is more of a, a transition for patients to say, my old dentist and my new dentist think the same way, right? They both have the right. same attitude and philosophy. Um but I honestly think there's a lot more work to be done. I think younger dentists have very, um, they're very smart, very entrepreneurial. This is what's driving our digital transformation work, uh, where we're going to get ahead of technology and stay there for once, so that if they want to access anything from the AD, they it's on any device at any moment in time, instantly chairside. That's that's where we're going with that. In terms of um, applicants, there's still a very healthy pool of applicants this year, believe it or not. We have not seen a decline in dental school applicants. Uh, We do see their anxiety level increasing. 
because of the uncertainty introduced by COVID. A lot of dental practices are not hiring young associates because of their slowdown. Right. Right. So we're really focusing on that employee phase of their careers and helping them get through that first five-year period. And that's what uh, ADAPT hopefully will do. That's what our student loan refinancing program will hopefully do. Uh, we're working on the federal government to make sure that uh, HRSA continues their loan abatement program if you work in a community health center. Right. And we're working with the feds uh, right now on how do you, they determine health shortage, you know, HIPSAs, health professional shortage areas, because right now their methodology is a little crazy. We think there's a lot more opportunity for uh, loan deferment uh, by dentists going to work in places where they're needed. So, so we're trying to do a lot, but it's, it's a, there's a lot going on. I graduated in 81 during a terrible recession. Right. And I couldn't sleep at night because I had no job. I thought I owed a lot of money, which was a lot of money back then. And nobody would hire me because I was a woman dentist with a baby. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so I feel for these kids. I, I mean, I remember not sleeping and going to the supermarket with exactly enough money to buy exactly what we needed for the week and nothing extra. Um, so, uh, but we, we got to help them through their first five years of their careers. And that's really important. So I know I've been talking to Megan a lot. I mean, Megan and I, we, 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 we email, we text about, you know, she'll have a question for me, a member calls and Alan, uh, Alan Schiff and I have been the main contacts with Megan. And, and, and so what, do you have an idea of what kind of your initiatives going to Congress are? I mean, obviously we want, uh, you know, we want them to make this PPP forgiveness much easier. They took a step with that, Dr. O'Loughlin, by yeah. making loans of under $50,000, pretty much a slam dunk right. last week uh, or two weeks ago. Uh, we're hoping that they make it for under 150000 But I'm starting right now to go through the, the the process, and there's still a lot of uncertainties. Yeah, uh, even if, uh, what's taxable. We'd like a clean answer on oh, that. Oh, God, yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the other thing I was telling the – in the last podcast I recorded was, you know, they all, they made this law that's not taxable and they thought it was all going to be over this year, but then they changed the rules to 24 weeks <laughs> and then you have 10 months to, 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 to yeah. apply. So do you deduct it in 2020? Do you not deduct it? Exactly. I talked to our number one PPP guy at, at our CPA firm, I'd Bailey, uh, you know, we don't know. And, and, and right. so I've, I've actually mentioned to Megan, I said, Megan, if you have anybody's ear at treasury, just go to them and say, listen, if you don't want to make it deductible, that's fine. But just tell us how it interacts between 2020 and 2021. And that's been the, the great yeah. thing about working with Michael and Megan is that, you know, we, we give them some ideas and they can go, they can go to they Congress. They go knock on the door. That's they they right. go knock on the door. My, my joke with Megan, uh, Dr. Laughlin was, um, we were, she, she emailed me. She says, I, I know that deducting PPE expenses is going to be great, but what can we do other than that? And I said, well, what if you ask Congress to make a tax credit because a tax credit's better mm -hmm. than a deduction. Right. But I told her, I said, you need to make it Alan, Art, and Megan's awesome dental tax credit. That's what <laughs> it needs to be called, right? Yep. I, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but there is a proposal in Congress for a $25,000, um, you know, um, tax credit, you know, right now we don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm sure that again, by the time this comes out in the middle of November, we will know a lot more. And yeah, we'll know yeah. And the reporting requirements are kind of all over the place oh, too. The, the, we, the, we're trying to keep those simple. So that we're just like you're thinking, 
you got to keep an eye on the government on multiple fronts all the time because once they do something, it's hard to go back and fix it. So you got to get in there and talk to them about the unintended consequence to small businesses like dental practices if you do X, Y, and Z. So we're fighting hard for the tax credit, for the simple reporting. Oh, I know you are. And the, this is a sad fact that government agencies don't talk to each other. Right? Nope. Uh, they don't talk to each other. We we are the conduit. Sometimes we're doing the talking between the agencies so they each know what the other one's doing. We found that to be the case with uh, uh, many of the federal agencies, FDA, CDC, HHS, HRSA. Uh, we were telling them what was going on in the other agencies. So if that's a role for us to play, so be it. But we have to keep our eye on this. Uh, as you know, uh, we're not out of this yet in terms of more relief. And then how hard is it going to be for the dentist next year when they're doing their their accounting and paying their taxes? I don't want any unhappy dentist calling me up saying, what do you mean I got to pay tax on this? You didn't tell us that. So, Oh, you did. I mean, I, I, you look at the ADA's website, you look at the ADA news, you look at the stuff that we've put out jointly with with you guys together. We, we've told everybody this, but uh, I will I will ask my listeners and they know that I use this term, please don't shoot the messengers. <laughs> uh, we don't we don't make these rules. And, and yeah. again, you know, it, it, it's great because we at the academy are working very, very closely um, uh, with, with Megan and Michael to try and get some initiatives. So other than the financial initiatives, uh, maybe a second round, there is potentially a second round of PPP because there's $130 billion left in the kitty. Yep. Um, and I, I think the, the good news is, is, and we're, we're, I promise doctor, we're not going to talk politics, but no matter what happens, uh, on November 3rd and then in January, um, one way or another, there's going to be a stimulus package. I think it, it's just whether it's going to be a $100 trillion stimulus or a three, $1 trillion. We don't know what it's going to be. Right. But I, I think that the good news, too, is that it's not only the ADA, but all the other trade organizations or the other organizations out there are pushing for a lot of the same thing. So do you do you guys work with other organizations? In, all that the are time. Not, yep, yeah, all the time. So we're part of ASAE, the Association for Society Executives that operates out of D.C., uh, but we're working with the ambulatory care folks. We have very close relationships with the medical societies in D.C. and Chicago. So, yes, and, and whenever we can sign on to something with 100 other associations, we do it. it it's great. Well, I, I, I will tell you, do, do you have anything, anything else, any other initiatives other than COVID-related that we haven't talked about that you might be looking um, at in 2021? No. Let's see. We talked about the registry. We talked about our digital transformation work, um, our focus on the employee dentist and trying to come up with a stronger value, a uh, bit of help for them uh, because they have not recovered and we are worried about them. Uh, we are working with the dental schools on how they recover. Uh, their clinical incomes were hit severely and many of the dental schools are under some big stress. Their state government subsidies, whatever they were, have been on the decline for years, and COVID may make that worse. Um, so, uh, I, you know, we we have a lot of um, fronts we're working on. Um, so it's hard to say, you know, here are the two or three most important things we're doing. Um, I think they're all important, and, and they're all different levers for us to pull uh, to get past COVID, which I think will go well into the mid-year of 21. 
And then uh, what comes next? Uh, I think we continue to focus on uh, the health of the public and helping dentists be successful, whatever that means to them. And I'm guessing that that anything that you do uh, meeting related with the ADA uh, until further notice is probably virtual, right? All virtual, uh, yeah. but we are hoping very much to be live in Las Vegas next October um, because that, I, I can tell you, running a virtual annual meeting, you're right. People just want to hug each other and you can't do that through a camera. Um, uh, I- Dentists love being with each other, and we want to make sure we provide that opportunity for them as soon as possible. Any, any, we're coming to the end of our time. And by the way, you're wonderful. You're you're a wonderful interview. You have great insights. You you know what you're doing, and the American Dental Association is in very very good hands with you and your team. And 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 I'm just so pleased to to have this opportunity to chat with you and to share this information with our listeners. Any any final words of maybe encouragement, advice, uh, caution for for our listeners who might be listening? We have a lot of people listening to this podcast. I think having optimism for the future and being so proud of the resilience that the dental profession has demonstrated is wonderful. I mean, you know, we've learned so much about ourselves during this horrible time. Um, You know, we believe in the profession. We believe in what we do for our communities. We've been able to laugh quite a bit, Art. I mean, you have to have a sense of humor when it's the darkest that optimism that the profession has really demonstrated is wonderful, and they are certainly good at solving problems. I mean, in in four weeks, they figured out how to prevent aerosol spread in their practices, yep. and that's a t- tremendous. Um, not many other professions could switch gears that quickly. Well, I want to I want to thank you on behalf of of uh, all the members of the Academy of Dental CPAs. Uh, we're going to continue to support your work. We're going to continue to be there. Uh, th- this academy is—I mean, I, you've been members, uh, a member of of, of organizations. Um, I, I've never met an organization of such unbelievably intelligent, giving people as the ADCPA. We're honored that you would allow us to come into your world and 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 help. We're here to help you, and um, uh, thank you so much. Uh, and if. Uh, if a dentist has questions uh, for any of the ADA folks, I know Megan's given their emails out. Sure. Um, what would be the best way if a dentist has a question about anything they don't know who to ask? I mean, obviously you have resources and everything. What, what would be the best way for a dentist to contact the ADA and say, I have a question about infection control. I have a question if, about. If they this. just go into ADA.org, there's a chat function there. Okay. And they can just pose a question there. Um, and our email addresses are in the website, and any one of us are happy to take any question from any member. Uh, my email address is my last name, first initial, at ADA.org. Feel free to share it around. Art, we're honored when dentists reach out to us. Uh, but honestly, the, our, our front door is, uh, if they just Google their, their question, it'll come right into ADA.org. And get into the chat room, and a and a person will get back to them immediately. Dr. Kathleen O'Loughlin, Executive Director of the American Dental Association, please hang on as I kind of uh, sign out of the show. Um, and thank you so so much for your time. I know how busy you are, 
and for all the hard work you've done for your 163,000 members across the United States. Uh, thank you so much. I can't tell you. I, this was really, really. Well, I uh, thank the, you to the opportunity and you guys, the Academy has been absolutely a great to work with this year. Well, thank so. you so much. And everyone just to let you know, if you want to get a hold of me at my office in Tustin, I'm at 657-279-3243. A. Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at Eide Bailey, E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. If you're looking uh, at the Research and Development Tax Credit, go to our website, www.idebailey.com forward slash dental RD, and we'll take a look and see if you're um, qualified for that. And uh, this was just wonderful. This is just one of the reasons I do this, because I get to speak to wonderful, wonderful people. The dental profession, j- just just wonderful people. When I get to refer people to dentists in my community, I just hear the caring and and love and 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 trust that, that the dentists all have. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this very, very special 100th episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman, CPA. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell all your friends about our podcast and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A W I E D E R M A N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.